Hello, and welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And this week we are discussing episode five of season five, We Got Us a Pippi Virgin, which I have to say is the first of three episodes in a row that take the title from a quote from the episode. Did you notice that? Yes. And that's why I can remember these three in, in particular, because when the episode title comes from the episode, it's easy for me to remember. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we know why. Well, we know why, but you always, but you always, uh, you always point out that I'm bad at remember, remembering or even noticing episode titles. So, well, you are. Well, when they're quotes, I can, I, I grasp them. So. They're also in the next, th- in this one, and the next two, they're also just very literal. Yeah. There's like no uh meaning meaning there's no like hidden meaning behind it it's literally what's said in the show (laughs) yeah exactly um so there's no like puns or playing with you know chatter whatever it is so yeah Mm -hmm. um this episode like i when you know when you said um during our last um episode that um there's been a lot of filler in season five so far this I don't usually think of We Got Us a Pippi Virgin as a filler episode, but it's very filler heavy when you sit down to analyze it. Would you agree? Um, yes and no. So I have a lot that I wrote down. Um, a lot of things that I think are not necessarily filler and actually help the plot move along and set up, not maybe in the most overt way, but maybe help set up um, some stuff that we'll see in the future. Mm-hmm. So on that front, I think I think some of it is important. I think other parts are just done for comedic effect and, um, you know, to give us an update, let's say on Richard and Emily, because last season, last season, last episode, there was no Richard and Emily. So this episode was very Richard and Emily heavy, for example. Right. Um, they're they're trying to move along, you know, Lorelai and Luke's relationship. Um, you know, I think certain things are definitely filler. Mm-hmm. I think others, once we get down to it, I have a lot to say. So I agree and I don't agree. Yeah, like I see what you mean in terms of um, there's little things that do help move the plot along. Mm-hmm. And there also is some filler. I think in terms of whatever what I've observed in the fandom, however, this episode is particularly beloved because there's a lot of pop culture references in it. So I think it's used a lot in, you know, BuzzFeed type lists of episodes and things um, for like, you know, to capitalize on Gilmore Girls and its love of pop culture. So I do want to, uh, you know, make note of all these references as we begin to dissect. Sure. And I think another thing that um, the episode, well, I think the reason why the episode is one that a lot of people point to when they're talking about the quintessential Gilmore Girls episode is because the the dialogue is very much like on point in these scenes. It's very witty. Like you said, there's a lot of pop culture references. Um, it's more fast paced than some of the other four episodes that we've seen so far in this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think um, like, I think there's always a little bit of a lull when you're restarting a show after a hiatus like yeah. a season finale, like between a season finale and a season premiere. So I think they're slowly, slowly in this episode starting to find their rhythm again. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes that comes at the expense of maybe storylines. But um, mm-hmm. 
I definitely think it's still enjoyable, though. Yeah, like it, I think it's an episode that maybe would have aged better if it hadn't been Dean in it. <laughs> well, I have a lot to say about the Dean situation in this episode and how everyone is treating him. Um, some I agree with, some I don't. And yeah, I'll leave it at that until we actually get into it. But um, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Jackson's already over his town selectman duties. Yeah, and it's been what? A week. week. <laughs> it's been a week. Who could have foreseen these events? Literally everyone could have foreseen <laughs> these events, okay? Uh, it's like when you make a really bad or toxic decision late at night and the next morning, it's like, who could have seen this happen? Me. I saw it in the mirror. Hello, that's me. It's me. Hi, <laughs> Hi I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely have a lot of these impulsive decisions. Um, so I can sympathize with Jackson. But at the same time, the fact that Suki says he only owns two dress shirts. Like, doesn't su- like doesn't surprise me up until... It doesn't surprise me, but I'm like, way to reinforce the small town stereotype. Yeah, that and like, maybe now that you are a selectman, you might want to invest in some more dress clothes. Just and stop because... like squishing tomatoes with your dress shirts on. <laughs> Like, what a weird spot to get a tomato stain on. And also, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming his schedule is very is packed very tight, given... I'm sure. Given the line he says, I tried to work in a nice suicide, but my schedule wouldn't allow it. So yeah. I'm guessing he has to be in his dress clothes while also performing his farming duties or whatever he Yeah, is. listen, like I said, I'm sympathetic to the man. Um, yeah. I get it. He had a full-time job before this, and it seems like this is also a full-time job. And I think that the reason it worked so well with Taylor is because he didn't have hobbies or a family or a life. Yeah. Meaning, I didn't mean for that to sound so mean, but I mean, no, like, it's true though. He made his he made his selectman duties his life, right? Like that's what he wanted out of life. He clearly got off on it. So, yeah. um, you know, for somebody like Jackson who already has an established career and is running a business already and has a young family and, you know, said that they were trying for another one, not the best decision. No, definitely not. Um, but it was, I, I kind of like this scene um, because it kind of reminded me of the older seasons and episodes where we would have Jackson come into the Independence Inn and they would banter and yeah. Lorelai, like all three of them in the kitchen, you know? So I, I, I kind of really enjoyed that because we haven't seen that in such a long time because throughout season four, the inn was under construction. Right. So it was nice to kind of see them back in that setting. Um, yeah. Especially, I think my favorite part of the whole scene was like the end, right, right before the cut to the credits where like Lorelai was asked, trying to like, uh, you know, trick him into signing the, the form for the extra parking space. Right. And he's like, you know, take it like, take it up with whoever because you know he can't he has no time right now even though literally just take a signature you're here sign it leave me alone and then suki's like i'll force that for you like you could have you could have just cut out the middleman and gone right to the source yeah no i think it was a nice scene um but something else that happens during the scene is that lorelei makes eye contact with dean who is apparently still working at the inn and it's very awkward (laughs) but like i don't think it has any like Lorelai has a reason to feel awkward. That's why she waves. But like, why? I mean, I get it. But like, why is Dean <laughs> being awkward like that? You don't think he has? He should feel awkward. But like, you're an adult. 
Yeah, but I mean, like, you slept with her daughter while you were married in her single bed. Yeah, okay, there's that. But (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like that's a really big one. Yeah, that's a big one. I'm just saying, I'm thinking, like, realistically, as someone who, you know, as an anxious person who tries to avoid awkwardness as much as possible, sometimes I've learned that the best way to avoid awkwardness is to just, like, pretend it's not. You know, like meaning like, just, yeah. oh, you see like, okay, they already saw me. I have to wave like, oh, yeah, like, I'm like that, too. You know what I mean? I think if because because Lorelai already saw him, it's rude to just look away. I don't know. That's how I, that's but how also I think you're, you're going to her place of business. The chances of you seeing her are 95 percent. So get over it. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like, yeah, no, I, I get I that. Part started, of it. I had forgotten that this is like the first time he'd really seen Lorelai since um, sleeping with his with sleeping with her daughter and her childhood bedroom so anyways so I'm (laughs) whatever I'm just I hate all things Dean moving on (laughs) um so Rory and Richard have lunch at Yale Mm. um and he's talking a lot because he's lonely clearly obviously right (laughs) yeah um he's clearly very lonely he tells Mm. Rory that he finally finished the sixth volume of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, a book that he's been trying to get through for 40 years. Can you imagine taking time out of your life to read The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire or or whatever the hell it's called? Yeah, if you were The Decline and Fall, The Rise and Fall. Oh, I thought it was The Decline and Fall. Oh, now you're making me doubt myself. No, I'm pretty sure it's The Rise, how it rose and then fell. Yeah, that that, that sounds more logical anyway. Yeah, that makes more sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Anyways, but he says that it took him about 40 years to actually read do you mm. have a book that it's taking you that long to read um not 40 years obviously because you're 25 um, <laughs> um it's a good good question i mean not really there's most times it'll be like a year or so would go by that i wouldn't that would maybe not pick it up again but i'm like you know me and you really you you would know this about me like I'm very I'm very disciplined when it comes to that sort of thing with like agendas and like if I write it down it becomes real and I can't you know not see it so I think if I were to start a book like that I mean I wouldn't ever start a book like the rise and whatever the hell of, of the Roman Empire um but in answer to your question I think it, the most would be like a year or something like it, but it would be a book that I could easily pick up and come back to like from one summer to the next or something like nothing like not a novel usually like something nonfiction ish right yeah like have you ever picked up a book and you're like I'm not feeling this right now I'll come back to it yes we both do that but yeah, we both do that I used to you know what this used to be a really big source of anxiety for me like whenever I made up my mind to read a book and I went and I either got the book from the library or you know downloaded the book on it used to be my Kobo or bought the book, whatever. I'm like, I need to sit down and read it. And then mm-hmm. I would feel guilty if I were like, mm, not in the mood right now. So I would force myself to read it before I was ready. Yeah. And it would just ruin the whole experience for me. Because- so I, st- so yeah. I still have that anxiety. But um, I do try to let off myself a bit. if like, I'm not feeling it. Like, I think there's a difference between like, oh, I'm not in the mood for this right now. Like, oh, I, I I want to read this. I'm just not feeling it right now. Like I can put it back and come back to it. There's a difference between that and 
like reading something, like giving it like 50 to 70 pages, which is usually what I give a book before writing it off. Um, if it if it like you've reached that threshold and it's really not gelling, then I'm like, okay, either we can skim the rest of this to find out what happens, or it's really not for me and I'm not finishing it, not touching it. Bye bye. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you have a point where in a book, like a cutoff point where you're like, there's a difference between I'm not liking this right now and I'll come back to it, or this is definitely not for me. I'm burning yeah. you. <laughs> it honestly depends on the book because there's been yeah. times where I've reached I've read like the first 30 pages of a book and I'm like no this is not happening and yeah. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not into this there's also times where it's like I'll read the first chapter and I'm like okay no I really want to read this book like I bought it for a reason but like I'm just really not in the mood for it right now so it really depends on the book and like the mood that I'm in it's also easier I find like if I got a book from the library and I'm like oh yeah, like I'm not feeling it. I, I, there's no guilt in just like returning it because it was free of charge from the library. Whereas, like, yeah, we both talked about the anxiety that we feel that when we buy a book, oh, absolutely, we thought it was gonna be the next love of our lives, and then yeah, we're like, ah, shit. <laughs> I mean, I actually have tried to get into um selling some of my old books right. um to use to, to some used bookstores that, that we have in Montreal. Um, one of which. Who I've like made friends with the owner. So like I'll just message her on Instagram sometimes being like, is this of any interest to you? But even then, like it, they're pretty far away from where I live. So it's mo mostly like I'll, I'll start of like a box or a bag of books I might want to sell or donate. And even then it's still, it's not, it's not a, as big a source of anxiety anymore, I would say, but it's still a, ugh, I paid money for this, especially now yeah. when books are, are a gajillion dollars. And oh, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, does, say, it doesn't keep me up at night anymore, but it, it is uh, it's it's still a source. It still of sucks, though, when it happens to you. Yeah. All that to say, there isn't a dollar amount out there that you can pay me to read all six volumes of the rise and fall of the Holy Roman Empire or whatever the it's, fuck. So I just looked it up. It's called History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Stop it. <laughs> No, I believe you because I it. knew there was I knew that I knew that when I was watching and I listened to what they said, like I heard the word decline. So I don't know, like <laughs> but you're but rise and fall is a is a better title. Yeah, wouldn't it be more logical if it rose and then it fell? I mean, there's no logic to reading all six volumes of this book. That's true. Years, That's so. true. Um, but yeah, you couldn't pay me to read that. Also, no. um, can we talk about Richard and Emily? And their petty immaturity? So, yeah. When this whole separation started, I was like, you're both petty, you're both immature, you definitely need some time apart, like, go away. And now I'm like, they're in that stage where they're, I think, in my opinion, I think they're both, like, feeling very sorry for themselves. Yeah, they're like, they're. I, would, I, would, I, want, I wouldn't want to say wallowing, but it's like they're, you know... They're in their feels about, about themselves. About it, yeah. Like, you know, Rich is like, oh, she doesn't care what I do. Emily's like, I wouldn't give it to him. He doesn't have the time of day for me. Like, and this is where I think, like, it's a theme throughout the show that if you only just spoke to each other a little bit. Yeah. Um, you would see. Excuse it's me. It's really interesting when you say it, like, like when you put it in those terms, because like miscommunication is such a central, th central theme throughout all of Gilmore Girls. And it's yeah. not even just like, I don't say that flippantly, like it's just it's such a central theme to the whole, like 
drama center of the show and for like it's realistic though right it is realistic and i think like i think it it really emphasizes that in order for like in order for a good family drama to function like miscommunication has like miscommunication has to play a part in the in a family or in like or or in a dynamic between it like not even not even like you know biological family but like found family or adopt like chosen family like miscommunication among loved ones is such a is like such an important part to that kind of story yeah and I think it's just I don't know think about all the times that you didn't know what to say in your relationships or didn't know or said the wrong thing or like overstepped Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so that's what when I say it's realistic it I think it's such a central theme in everyone's lives right yeah Um, especially with your family like I think I think the only other family drama that is really like te- like family drama television series that has really used the theme of miscommunication well in my memory is brothers and sisters because a, a, a recurring joke or uh, trope I should say on that show was how they were all terrible at keeping se- keeping secrets from each other so like one sibling says tells something else something to another in confidence and like but like within an hour like everybody in the family knows about it kind of thing and um I wouldn't say the Gilmores are like that but in terms of the way in which they don't like the way in which they don't know how to get over that that hump of not communicating with each other it's like it's very it's just very realistic within family members yeah definitely and I think um it's been certainly a theme throughout Lorelai's life as well, right? Um, mm. You know, she she jokes all the time about how in the Gilmore house, you didn't talk about your feelings and yeah. you, know, you swept everything under the rug. And so it's not surprising to me that now when it is the time to kind of talk out your issues, Emily and Richard are just like both stubbornly staying in their corners. Typical and, wasps. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's also... I was going to say cultural, but what culture do wasps have? <laughs> um, um, their own repression is pretty much their culture. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's um, it, it's definitely a wasp thing is all I'll say. Yeah. Um, you know, but there are also similarities in maybe immigrant households where you're just like, we don't talk about things with strangers, you know? <laughs> um, but what I will say about in ethnic or immigrant households is that if somebody's got a problem with you, they're going to yell at you until you get it. Oh, that, that you have related to me on many, many of occasions. <laughs> like my grandmother is not sulking. She's going to fucking tell you she's got a problem with you. Okay. She'll tell you. And then she'll, then she'll sulk about it, but like, we'll give you death glares about it for the rest of her. Being. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah. So I think with Emily and Richard, it's, it's, I think it's just a, a natural part of maybe a separation as well. I've never been part of a divorce or separation, but I think like, Maybe they do need the time. We said last time that they probably need the time apart. But, you know, if you're if you're sitting there thinking that your husband wouldn't even care if you got attacked in your own home and you have to buy a fucking panic room, like, you know, <laughs> there's an issue. And I think, you know, you should be talking about these issues. So can we talk about the panic room? <laughs> we can, because um, Emily says she got it because she's a woman living alone. And I want to know where the fuck would I put a panic room in my apartment? Because <laughs> I am a woman living alone. <laughs> 
<laughs> no offense, your apartment is, is about the size of a decent panic room. So I was going to say, my apartment is a panic room. <laughs> um, so I don't think I need to buy one. But um, yeah, it's just, I think she's also, I don't, I don't doubt her anxiety because I think there is a certain leveling of anxiety that she's feeling because she does yeah. tell the girls that like I've never been on my own I went from living with my parents to living in college to living with my husband you know so I think no matter what age you are when you're when you start off on your own it, it can be very anxiety inducing yeah um, add to that the fact that she's very aware that maybe for a woman in of her age it's kind of unlikely mm-hmm. and she's probably feeling bad about that too I think she's going full on like Emily at the mall is what I'm calling it, you know? Yeah. And that is all incredibly valid. And I agree 100% and not to take away from that, you know, thoughtful in-depth analysis. But to me, me, I think, (laughs) uh, why would Emily Gilmore need a panic room when she could, when she could literally just scare off burglars with her vernacular, her mouth, her speech. (laughs) Oh yeah. 100%. Um, but also, I'm pretty sure she lives in a like, gated community. She has an alarm. Exactly. That's why in my, in my notes, I'm like, what is Emily going to do with a panic room? And not in terms of like, okay, someone breaks in and she needs to get in the panic room, whatever that means. But like you like you said, she most li- it's most likely a gated community with rich-ass neighbors. And I mean, we saw in the, in the first episode where just, just Emily and Richard arguing and her running out the basement window with no pants, that somehow caused a disturbance. So... If there's going to be a burglar, there's going to be a disturbance. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, um, yeah, I think it's 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 more anxiety than anything else. Like, I don't really think she thinks that somebody's going to come and murder her. Um, I think, like you said, she's in her feelings. Um, yeah. And, you know, the fact that she can't find the gin and then she goes snooping in Richard's office. Uh, home, I should say. <laughs> um you know, like it's it's also juvenile of like he's living in squalor and like, you know, she's snooping. She's very first wives club. In this it is. <laughs> it's very like, what does he need with all this junk? Like, I'm just, I'm, I don't know. So before we go any further, I have two pop culture references from these two scenes, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the first is the panic room of how both Rory and Lorelai make reference to the Jodie Foster film of the same name called Panic Room. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie? I have. I was going to say, it's, you know, stars a 12-year-old wife of yours in her breakthrough role. Um, well, when I saw the movie, she wasn't yet my wife. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that's uh, that's inappropriate. <laughs> um, cool. But um, I only saw it once a long time ago. I think with my mom, it was on TV, like on a Sunday night. I'm like, oh, great. Great, great nighttime television before having to get up for school the next morning. I um, <laughs> I, I was like also just kind of briefly researching the like kind, not really the history because I couldn't find much, but like the concept of panic rooms, and it's actually mo- they're more common in homes like Emily's, where I think it's um, well as in the movie, like the the burglars who break into Jodie Foster's uh, house are like. It's like the grandson of the previous owner or something looking for bonds that are hidden and stashed in the safe in the panic room. Mm -hmm. So I think it's from what I've, from what I've read, I could be wrong. I don't know if any of our listeners have a panic room or have experiences with a panic room, 
Um, but from what I've read, it they're more common among like upper class homes, like Richard Nemley's for what it like. I'm guessing because they have more to lose because they're. Well, that's the thing I was about to say. It makes sense. They have more things to probably like. I mean, if you're talking about burglars hitting houses, they're probably going to hit a house like Richard and Emily's that they know rich people live in, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I did read somewhere that in terms of safety for the living, and I'm quoting mm-hmm. here, the idea of the panic room began with castles. Interesting. <laughs> so I guess they would build like a separate little room that you can uh, that you can go live in once you're under siege. So I guess we can we can conclude that panic rooms are just yet another bougie aspect of uh, Emily Gilmore's existence. That makes sense. Um, the second pop culture reference from this uh, part of the episode is one that actually started circulating a lot on social media um, with the onset of 2020 and the popularity of a certain um netflix true crime series you'll probably you're probably knowing what i'm talking about at this point um emily makes reference to that gay fella whose tiger tried to eat him okay so apparently that's not the person she's referring to really yeah that that sounds familiar now that you say that i think I, i think i knew this who was it so i'm not sure of who so when, by the way, we're talking about Tiger King. So when Tiger King became, became a thing at the beginning of the pandemic, um, uh, people went back as they do and found this clip of Emily saying that gay fellow whose tiger tried to eat him or whatever the fuck. Um, and then everyone's like, oh my God, Emily Gilmore predicted the future, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then that was a thing for about 2.5 seconds as it is on the internet. And then a lot of other people started talking about how like, that's not what she's referring to it's actually another story well there's no there's no reference to this reference no reference to this reference that's good well i know what you're saying in the little booklet yeah there's nothing in the gilmoreisms about it at all yeah so i I haven't been able to find it again like when people were like quote unquote disputing it Mm -hmm. um but apparently that's not the person that she's talking about but i'm gonna pretend it is because um apparently the tiger king has been around a really long time yeah and i actually okay so first of all did you watch that when it was really popular at the beginning of the pandemic i watched some yeah (laughs) i think i watched like the first episode and i was like i think i need to be high for this (laughs) um like i don't understand the hype yeah it was that's okay it's bad shit crazy let's be honest but i just didn't get into it so you know my feelings towards like, you know, Netflix originals that become incredibly, insanely popular overnight, and then the next day it's like you haven't seen it. I'm like, okay, it came out yesterday, and somehow yeah. you've seen every single episode and want and want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, this in particular just like didn't interest me whatsoever. So I was not I was not intrigued at all. But but what what did intrigue me was like the discourse that kind of followed around the show and like why it was so popular mostly because it came out literally right as everyone was entering the very first lockdown and like what the hell else are we gonna watch yeah um but more so like i didn't understand the story at all and because you know there was a lot else going on at that time i didn't really uh preoccupy myself with learning the story so i did a again a little bit of research into what the story exactly was um most likely 
everyone else has probably seen the show by now and probably know know it a bit better than I do. But I'm guessing from what I've read, just has to do with this Tiger King guy who his stage name is Joe Exotic. Yeah. Um, and the, the I'm guessing the show kind of chronicles his crazy ass feud with Carol Baskin, who mm-hmm. is the CEO of this big cat rescue uh foundation thing. I mean, no need to relitigate the plot, it's fine. Okay, so anyway, I did so that's what I was trying to learn about it just because I didn't understand, but I was trying thinking of thinking about the quote um from the episode from Emily was in fact referring to Joe Exotic. I was just like, what exactly was she referring to? You know, like that gay fellow whose tiger tried to eat him. Was was there some like documented cultural of cultural moment where <laughs> Joe Exotic's tiger tried to eat him? And since we're not incredible, since we're not entirely sure that she's referring to him in this instance, like we can't, uh, we obviously can't confirm. But in his Wikipedia page, I found one interesting tidbit that I wanted to share that could possibly be um relevant to what she said um so it says in 2002 seeking a way to earn money to feed his growing number of animals exotic partnered with a traveling magician magician to provide and handle tigers during stage illusions the magician and exotic eventually parted company but he had realized that using his big cats and magic shows was a good way to earn money he began traveling magic shows himself and adopted Joe Exotic as his stage name and soon found that attendees at the shows would pay to pet and have their pictures taken with these tiger cubs. And they eventually moved into cub petting events. He like started breeding cats and um, guessing that's kind of where it came from. And then it says to benefit his stage persona, Exotic began behaving more flamboyantly, wearing flashy clothing and jewelry and adopting his trademark bleached mullet hairstyle. So based on the vest that Emily finds, I'm guessing it's kind of in this, in this area, if that's- So I if found she... where it's from. Okay, so that was all, that was all for nothing. Continue. Yeah, basically. <laughs> We're going to cut you out of this episode. Uh, no, so apparently it's a reference to Siegfried and Roy. Okay. Um, so one Reddit user says, I'm pretty sure this was in reference to Siegfried and Roy. Roy's, Roy's tiger oh. attacked him in 2003. So mm. it might be that. Okay, I'm gonna have to investigate further. <laughs> Maybe, but I think it's highly unlikely that Emily would have known who the Tiger King was. Yeah, but like at the same time, isn't it? Isn't it like interesting? Not inter- interesting is not the right word. Isn't it like convenient that there's more <laughs> that there's more than one um, tiger performer who? Have you met the people of Florida? true <laughs> but isn't i'm saying isn't it isn't it like convenient that there's more than one of them and who is also gay and flam- i don't know to me it just sounds weird <laughs> probably but i mean do you boo boo mm. oh, another, another interesting tidbit i just came across is that some of the alligators in um joe exotic's show came from the complex in michael jackson's never neverland ranch i wonder if he stole those anyway moving on <laughs> Right then. So the last thing I'll say about Richard and Emily is when Lorelai goes to visit Richard um, after Rory kind of expresses her concerns that he's lonely and that, you know, they just need to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. She very much sounds like a child of divorce, by the way, which is why the whole thing is so funny to me, because you would think that she'd be more 
um, I don't know what the word is, but you would think that she would be more affected, I guess, by the fact that her mother and her father have had this on again, off again relationship. Um, and yet that's very rarely brought up until the writers feel the need to write Christopher in again. Um, yeah. But in a lot of ways, Rory's parental figures are Richard and Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say it's not taking anything away from the way Rory ra- uh, Lorelai raised her or anything. Um, but, you know, she's the only kind of example of a real relationship in her family, I guess, right? So, yeah. and she, you know, for the five years at this point that she's been in their lives consistently, they've been the it couple for her, you know, like her grandmother dotes on her grandfather and her grandfather, you know, provides for her grandmother and she knows how good they can be. So, you know, she's very much acting like a child of divorce in the sense of like, when you start noticing things going wrong and you just want to fix them and you're like, if only they could talk to each other, they both miss each other. You know what I mean? Um, and Lorelai is very much trying to reel her in and be like, you know, these things happen, you know, they are who they are, which is also very realistic of her, right? You know, sometimes you just need to let people be. Um, but yeah. I think when Lorelai does hear from Rory about how it's bothering her so much that they're not speaking, you know, Lorelai goes over and is like, you know, have you tried talking to mom about little things? You know, you were married for 40 years. She's, that doesn't go away is what I'm you know, Lorelai realized that 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 doesn't go away, you know? Um, Yeah. Because as much as she's had a contentious relationship with her parents, she also knows they love each other, right? So Yeah, but I'm wondering, like, perhaps a personal question, but, like, since you are a child of divorce, like, is that, like, is that a thing of, like, trying to, like, get people to reconcile, or is that something perpetuated by television? No, I think I think it's, oh, I keep coming back to this quote that happens later on in like season seven, where Rory's like, it's every child's dream, their parents getting back together. Or was that in season three? Mm, one or the other. One or the other, whatever, you know, like, I think the younger you are when it happens, it's it's your like fantasy that they'll find each other again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um because you know you grow up thinking or at least it was like this in the 90s (laughs) you grow up thinking that like a parental unit should be a mother and a father like living in a house together taking care of you um so i think you know for children it's very much the case that they they constantly think about their parents getting back together um I think the reason that changes when you grow older is because you start to mature and realize some people are better off apart. Right. Yeah. Um, but we've said this before. Rory's never really had a regular childhood. No, she was wise beyond her years because she was raised by Lorelai who kind of always treated her like a mini adult. Mm -hmm. So I think it's normal sometimes that her reactions reactions that she should have had as a child or reactions that you would typically see in a child, she expresses them now that she's in her 20s. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, you know, a thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we we talked about it earlier in the season where Lorelai, you know, snarky, snarkily says to her, like, wasn't this a phase you were supposed to go through in your teenage years, you know? So, like, everything's kind of décollé. 
Mm. What's the word I'm looking for in English? Disjointed. Yeah, I mean, everything is kind of like happening later than it should have happened with Rory, you know? Yeah. Um, because she lived some of her adult years in her childhood years, if that makes sense. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know? So some stuff are kind of manifesting themselves now in her 20s. Um, but what I will say is I did like the fact that Lorelai was like, well, this is clearly bothering my kid. And maybe deep down, it's kind of bothering me too, because I do know that they love each other and they've been together for 40 years. So yeah. she goes and sees her father and is like, you know, you should tell mom little things, you know? And I, I think this is the first time in the entire series that either Richard or Emily actually take Lorelai's advice. Um, yeah, very lightly. Very lightly. But I think like he kind of, she kind of got through to him in her own way. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to tell her I joined a barbershop quartet, which by the way, we're not giving him nearly enough shit for. Like, It's very out of character. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is it though? Because he was in an acapella group. Yeah, meaning like out of character with the, the Richard Gilmore on the surface that we know. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think that's what divorce does to you too. Yeah. This is kind of like his midlife crisis, I guess. So like, fuck it. We're going to join a barbershop quartet and wear a glittery <laughs> vest. I don't know. Um, I'd love to get into that, but I think there's other things to get into in this episode. There's also, well, one thing I want, one last thing I'll say about the whole separation um, situation is um, like just in, just in, in response to what you said about, you know, Rory's younger and, and has a bit more, you know, wide-eyed innocence of like, they need to get back together because they've been together, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas Lorelai's like, my parents are very stubborn and it's, yeah. I, you know, it's admirable that you want to see your, your grandparents reconcile but at the same time, it to her, it seems pointless to, you know, try to get two stubborn people to see to see eye to eye. And <laughs> I think Laura, the extent to which Lorelai wants to contribute is amplified best in the scene where it's just her and Emily in the living room. She's like, so mom, you think you and dad are getting back together? Absolutely not. OK, got any peanuts? Like she's, you know, she doesn't she she's asking because she wants to show her show it to her daughter. But. Other than that, it's like, okay, well, you know what? I have no power over you. You do what you want. Well, also, yeah, I, I completely get that. She's like, of course, I have no power over you. When has Lorelai Gilmore ever had any power over Emily Gilmore? Yeah. But it's also like, I think she's in her own way trying to show her daughter, like, you and I have very different relationships with these people. Yeah. Like, they're your fuzzy, warm grandparents, and you've only ever known them in a positive light. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, we... I come with a lot of baggage for them, you know? And I think that's a really underrated aspect of the whole show. Like, especially when you go back and you rewatch season one, like in the very beginning when they first start going to Friday night dinner and stuff, like you can just see it in Lorelai's eyes and her expressions and like her surprise at like, oh, you're actually putting in an effort. Like, you know, you never made this effort with me. And yeah. that's that, that's also really, a really realistic aspect of family because, you know, we like we meet Richard and Emily in the year 2000 and spend seven years in, with them in the 2000s. And that's one era. But, you know, parenting in the 60s, 70s and 80s was a, di- a whole different era. So we, we didn't get to, we didn't get to see what their their approach was back then and what was normalized and what wasn't, you know. So, yeah, um, it's interesting to think about. For sure. Um, anything else you want to say about Richard and Emily before we move on? Uh, no, but I can confirm that it is most likely, um, Siegfried and Roy, as you said, that she's referring to, because I just looked up their Wikipedia page and there was a very highly publicized 2003 tiger incident in which I'm (laughs) in which tiger tried to eat him. So that's, uh, let's go with that rather than tiger King. (laughs) 
It was fun while it lasted. Um, (laughs) So I want to briefly move on to Lane and Zach. I I Um, don't really have, I have one note about them and it has nothing to do with really any, any real thing to do with, (laughs) with them. It's more just a comment on a scene because I didn't really, like, I find it's, I'm not gonna say it's filler, but it's like, it's, it's breadcrumbs. Well, what I wanted to say about them, uh, I too don't have much to say, but I think we should definitely touch on it because last episode, we didn't get any of them um, necessarily interacting with each other. Yeah. Uh, it was more of a band scene. So um, Lane is trying to get Zach to, at the very least, acknowledge that she confessed her feelings to him. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, like, is he high? What, what is it? I think he's just stupid. <laughs> like, was he dropped on his head multiple times as a child? Um, I, I, there's something wrong with him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because like he's just pretending that nothing happened. La da da. We're just bandmates, and we're trying to learn Brian's tune. And like, it's also <laughs> awkward. And so the only thing I really had to say about this is for me again with the miscommunication or at least or not miscommunication I think for me it's more lack of communication at this point um you know when she tells him like I take it back you know mm-hmm. I was like good for you girl because uh, like I don't have time for the shit yeah <laughs> I confess like as if I have shit to do but I mean like I confessed to having feelings for you at the very least acknowledge me you know what I mean yeah. so that when he comes into the diner later and he's like you've known me you know me so well you know me more than my parents which is fucking weird because they've only known each other two years but I guess you know sometimes your parents don't really get you but he's like you know me you know that I don't react to some to stuff sometimes I'm very slow this and that you know I'm like but why couldn't you just say that when she told you? Yeah, exactly. Or like, she kind of con- like she confronted it about it, confronted him about it a few like multiple times. So it's like you, I don't know. I think it's just like stupid straight man nonsense. Yeah. So like for me, it's so she. I can I can acquiesce that he was maybe taken off guard by the way she said it because she kind of just blurted it out, mm. and I get that. But then you two are we're meant to believe that in the past two weeks you've kind of been alone because you live together. So you've probably, there've been occasions where you've been alone together. Yeah. And nothing really. Yeah, I know. At least say like, Hey, I heard you. I didn't go temporarily deaf <laughs> and I'm just processing. Like how hard would that have been to say? For Zach, very. Clearly. And I think like when I said at the beginning of this episode that I think this sets up things in the future very nicely. I think this is the beginning of at least for us as an audience, realizing that this is not a good match. Because no. if it took you like that long to just acknowledge the fact that she's like, hey, I like you. She's not telling you she wants to marry you. She's telling you, hey, I have feelings for you. Can we explore this? Yeah. And you're just like, chill out anytime. Like, <laughs> I can't. I can't do it with him. He's he's I can't. <laughs> oh, do you want to hear the only note I have about Lane and Zach in this? Sure. <laughs> and uh, this might be a snobby thing to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, um, it seems that a plunger is really something you shouldn't buy used. No. Oh my god, that was nasty. 
So, I mean, I'm sure they're clean. <laughs> but No, I'm not sure they're clean. You're sure they're clean? I mean, to sell them, you wouldn't sell them with, like, shit all over it. No, you wouldn't sell them with shit on them, but, like, that's, I don't care. That's been touching someone's excrement. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, good. We agree. <laughs> and, like, I know you're strapped for cash, as everyone keeps saying, and, like, as demonstrated by the scenes where you're cl- clipping coupons. <laughs> But a plunger is really something that you should buy new. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like spend the extra four dollars. <laughs> it's true. Oh my god. Please, Absolutely. Please not. don't buy your plungers used, everybody. <laughs> like there are certain things in your house that you can buy used, and I will never ever fault you for that. I am also a penny saver. I like saving money. Plunger? No. Not one of them. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Mm, no. Ooh. Anyways, so that's the only thing you have to say about Lane and Zach, really? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, okay. So the main event of the episode is this double date from hell. Truly from hell. That you once again could not name a dollar amount. No. For me to like tag along on. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I, in terms of this, in terms of like the movie, like I have, I have questions. The movie? The movie, the movie theater, like we've seen the black, what is it? The black, white, red movie theaters? Black, white, and red. Okay, yeah, black, white, and red. So like, is that's, is it, that's a bookstore by day? Is it? So we're meant to believe that it's a bookstore slash movie theater. Okay, so okay understood but is that stars hollow's only movie theater yes okay so because that's always been a lingering question and we've never well, actually to be fair sorry to cut you off to be fair i say yes but mm-hmm. stars hollow was hiding a fucking arena up its ass for so long yeah. and i didn't know yeah i think it's just like in terms of you know avid pop culture consumers like lorelei and rory you would assume they would be regular moviegoers. And yeah. um, based on the Black, White, and Red movie theater's um, Vault of Films, which is um, a series of graphically violent driver's ed videos or The Avengers of Pippi Longstocking, hmm, I think I'd have to go with driving to another town to see a movie. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's what they did, right? Small towns generally don't have movies and you have to go to a bigger town to go yeah, to a exactly. movie theater. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I like the concept. Yeah, like for me, it would be like I would love nothing more than to like go to a little cozy movie theater like that, like some kind of like DIY movie theater and watch like a comforting favorite I've seen a million times. Like that would like that would be a perfect date for me. But if not anyone's with... offering, yeah, if anyone's offering, please like let me know. Um, <laughs> but like to go on a date with my mom and my former high school boyfriend who I just got back together with by um cheat by by him cheating on his wife with me I'm gonna pass yeah so here's what I want the world to know okay (laughs) this is not normal okay good right thank you (laughs) okay because so there's a scene where Lorelai is telling Rory that they sh- they're in the diner and she's telling her like, hey, we should all hang out again because I don't want him to feel awkward. 
because they had an awkward look at the inn and they had an awkward uh, conversation outside the diner. Um, and then Rory goes over to Kyle's house who just lost a hand and we're supposed to be okay with that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> also, pretty sure they don't put hooks anymore on people's fucking stumps. Yeah, I'm gonna get gonna guess that's correct. But maybe in 2003 they were still putting hooks. Maybe he was starring in a Broadway musical. I don't know. <laughs> but so we're always talking about how, you know, we all used to hang out and we used to have fun. That's not normal. No, the fact that like Dean spent so much time with your with his girlfriend and his and her mother. The fact that you used to hang out, like looking at it from Lorelai's point of view, yeah. The fact that you used to hang out with your teenage daughter and her boyfriend. Like every once in a while. Okay. Fun? Like what? No. Like not regular. Like the fact that it was a regular event is a bit weird in retrospect. Like every once in a while. Okay. But. Like I think about the fact that my brother and his wife now, but girlfriend back then started dating. Um, let's say when they were 15. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's been that long. Yeah. Wow. Like Rory and Dean, like 15, 16, right? And so there were times, obviously, when my sister-in-law would come over and, you know, we'd have supper all together, so we'd all talk. Yeah. It's not like we're going to kick my mom out of the room, you know what I mean? Or me, for example. But, like, to actually physically go out and do something... No, that's weird. ...with your teenage daughter and her boyfriend... Yeah. And like reminisce about it. Oh, the good old days. It's weird. It's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. Or like Wanda Sykes in that, or like that comedy special. She's like, that's not normal. I didn't even put two and two together. But I mean, it's not, it's not normal. Come on. Like, and there are many aspects of Rory and Lorelai's relationship that, yes, because they're close in age, are a little bit muddled here and there. I don't care how close in age you are. And I don't care how much you say, my mom is my best friend. She's not my mom. She's your mom. Yeah. And especially now that the relationship is no longer like lovey-dovey, just holding hands, and it's moved on to a sexual relationship where a marriage was actually ruined. Mm. I don't understand. Yeah, now that you lay it all out in plain English, it's uh, yuck. <laughs> I don't understand the appeal. There's one thing to say to Rory, like, hey, Rory, I want you because you're my daughter to feel comfortable with your boyfriend and I don't want your boyfriend to feel awkward. So like, feel free to bring him around. You know, it's one thing to say that. Right. It's another thing entirely to be like, we should have a double date. Mm. And we should hang out again. Yeah. It's just not normal. I don't, I don't see a world where, no matter how close you think you are with your daughter, that it's okay to just casually double date. Especially, like, you're also in a new relationship. Yeah, it does cross a line, I think. You're right. Like, you know, you've only been with Luke for a couple of weeks, too. And, like, especially, you saw how awkward he got when you brought up Dean at the diner. Yeah, like, why would you, like, it's weird. Like, why would you force it, especially considering that, Luke at this point is the only one willing to acknowledge how trash Dean is. <laughs> yeah, so I I have lots of things to say about Luke's reaction, both Luke and Lorelai's reaction to Dean and um 
you know, their feeling towards him, their feelings towards him. But mm-hmm. I mean, you saw the way he reacted in the diner, like, oh my God, Dean. You know? And you're like, oh my God, it'll be fun. Yay. And it's like, no, you know who <laughs> Dean is. <laughs> and you know who Luke is. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, so you know, they go to the movies and even before they go to the movies, um, Lorelai and Roy are talking about going to get food at JoJo's, um, which is the first time we've ever. Yeah, I was gonna say we've never heard of JoJo's until we've this. We've never heard of JoJo's. It would seem it would. I would think that in a in a town as small as Stars Hollow, having two burger joints is hilarious to me. But you know, and I think with the quality of Luke's being so much better that like Luke's would put them out of business easily. Well, Rory even says Jojo's going to be so happy to finally make a sale. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Apparently inflation doesn't touch Star Um Okay. Well, not, not, not its current rates. This is still 2004. That's true. Um, but, <laughs> so they're talking about all that and then, like, Lorelai and Rory are like, please, Jean, explain to the class uh, like, why we're going to Jojo's. And, like, I don't think Luke appreciated Dean taking the lead and sort of mansplaining to him. No. Especially in the fucking theater when he's like, we call it Big Red because she's big and red. Thanks, dumbass. Like, what the fuck? <sighs> and I and I can appreciate maybe the fact that Dean might be a little bit nervous as well. Yeah. Because I think Dean, at this point, we, we also tend to forget um, that Dean kind of, like, confessed his love for Rory to Luke. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. See? I told you you forgot. <laughs> um, so I'm sure he's fucking feeling awkward too, right? Mm, that's a whole other, oh my gosh, I d- did not even remember that. See? I, mean, I, remember, I remember it now you tell me, but it's like because it was a whole other season ago. Jeez. Yeah. So, you know, Luke knows that. And then Dean, I'm sure, knows that he did that. So is probably feeling awkward. They probably never spoke of it. <laughs> no, of course not, because why would you communicate in this show? <laughs> and so like it's all it's all awkward and I don't understand both the women trying to force it I don't know I think I think based on the 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 aesthetic and the nature of the date of like this very stars tallow evening I think both Lorelai and Rory are trying to like recapture this sense of youth and innocence that like their mother-daughter relationship is starting to lose based on what happened at the beginning of the season and based on what happens at the end of the season. Um, I think they're just, they're trying to hold on to a sense of their relationship that is trying to grow and evolve. And neither of them, neither of them know how to react properly to it. So Rory's instinct was, Oh, I'm going to get back together with my high school boyfriend and destroy his marriage in the process. Lorelai, obviously, you know, she and Luke deserve to get together. That's not the same thing. But for them to force this dub, this weird, inappropriate double date, um, it's I think it speaks to both of them are just not not responding well to the to the growth and maturity that is happening naturally, would you yeah. say? Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. I think I think it's right to say that they're both kind of feeling you know, Lorelai's probably feeling, you know, my daughter's growing up, not telling me as much. And that's never been the case. And she wants to hold on to whatever she can, whatever part of her daughter that she can. And Rory may be feeling like she is her own person. She is an adult now, but she still very much needs her mother, 
even though mm-hmm. she's trying to be independent. So I can understand the fact that they're both trying to stay as involved in each other's lives as possible. What I don't understand, though, is how Lorelai can make so many excuses for Dean. I know. Or at least for this relationship. Because, and we've talked about this in previous episodes too, I think Lorelai has been put in a very tough position where she doesn't want to tell her daughter, like, I disagree and over my dead body, are you seeing him? Because she can't also, right? You're an adult. Um, And it's also the trap that you fall in when you've treated your daughter like your best friend for your entire life. Yeah. Um, So I understand her trying to keep the peace and not wanting to, like, alienate her daughter. Mm -hmm. But how you can... You can still do that without going out of your way to make it seem like Dean is this perfect guy. Right. And I'm genuinely, I genuinely don't understand why she could do that with Dean, like put on a brave face, Mm -hmm. but not with any other, uh, any other guys that Rory has ever brought home. No, seriously. Like, especially considering we we've already met Logan and Logan's going to become, uh, you know, a significant player in the remainder of the season. But like the fact, I mean, I mean, Logan's a bit of a, that's the thing too is like dean is more neutral in comparison for lorelei like dean is more neutral for lorelei in comparison to both jess and logan because like we've we've brought up how jess kind of reminded her maybe reminded her of her younger self and she didn't like that and then logan i think just reminds her of her parents world and that's just like a big ick so she just doesn't like she does come around to logan eventually but like just in in comparison to those two other love interests, like Dean is is neutral. You know yeah, I mean? but like I'm sorry, the fact that Logan reminds you of your parents' world and Jess was rude to you the one time he moved to Stars Hollow, like tough. Not even that. Like I think there's also I think there's a there is a, a complex character dynamic that took place between Jess and Laura. Okay, regardless, mm-hmm. regardless. If your position at this stage in the game is I don't want to anger my child and I want to show her that I'm okay with her choices and that means being nice to her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That's your that's the position you're taking. So yeah. why not extend the same courtesy later on? Well, my my thing is why with Dean after all the shit that's happened. I know. <laughs> and I and I don't understand why when Luke in the diner brings up the fact that they're not right for each other because they've tried this twice before and he always breaks her heart kind of thing. Why she doesn't even acknowledge that because she rightfully points out later on in the episode that like, well, who is good for her Jess? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not Jess bitch, but it's certainly not Dean. Yeah. That's so true. Like, I don't understand the mental gymnastics she's putting herself through for Dean. I don't get it. Do you want to sleep with him? I don't understand. (laughs) I think, and and I'm not excusing it or defending it, but I honestly think that that Lorelai just has blinders when it comes to when it comes to Dean. Like she chooses to only she chooses to only remember him as the lovey dovey puppy love first boyfriend that Rory had in season one and two, and like not just an, I'm gonna say she ignores it, but like she chooses to disregard, or yeah, I guess ignore. Like it, it chooses to disregard the the stuff that he's done 
that is, you know, fucked Roy up or has negative negatively impacted everyone involved. So, you know, not, I don't defend it, but like I said, I think Dean has just been this weird focal point for Lorelai and, and Rory's love life. And that's, that's what I mean when I say like, everyone has to <laughs> grow up and move on. Like, ugh. I don't know. I just, I genuinely don't understand. And then when they're back at the house and like Lorelai is like, what can I get everyone to drink? And, and he asks for a beer. Mm. And I'm like, can you imagine if Jess, who wasn't yet 21, asked for a beer? I know. Well, to be fair, Jess would have never been caught dead in this scenario. <laughs> no, well, that's true. But I'm saying, like, I d- like it might seem like an insignificant thing because I do think that the laws saying that you have to be 21 to have a drink are dumb, considering all the other things that you can do when you're 18, like get married. Hello. Um, but like, can you imagine? So it may seem trivial, is what I'm trying to say. But it's little things like here and there that I'm just like, at that point, Luke was more of a parent than she was, right? Yeah. Because imagine any other person on the planet. Like, if I walked into the house with my 17-year-old partner, because here we're allowed to drink at 18, and he's like, yeah, Mary, I'll have a beer. <laughs> my mom would have said, get the fuck out of here, you'll have a oh beer. Oh my god. I can just imagine your mom's reaction to that. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and so when Luke finally was like, it's not like you're 21. I'm like, why did Luke have to say that? Like, why yeah. is that okay? Because you don't want to ruffle feathers, so you're going to give the 19-year-old a beer? At that point, I'm sorry. You have to put your big girl pants on and be like, I know I don't want to anger my daughter, but no. And not, again, not to defend or excuse any of that, but I think maybe the, like, Dean's mentality and that was like, well, and a lot of cultures... I have historically thought this way too, where it's like, if you do man, like if you're doing man's work at a, by whatever age, or if you're, you know, married by a certain age, like you, you're then entitled to drink, which I don't think that's, I don't think Dean's smart enough to think like that, but. um, Dean is smart period. But it's, no, but it's weird. It's, it's, it's weird to be 19 and in, in whatever, regardless of what stage of life you're in to go to your, girlfriend's house with your with her mother who i'm guessing you're close to but even then it's it's mm, no it's still a big it's still an iffy no no for me i don't know the whole thing was just so weird to me and And i was so and i mean i know luke's rant was born out of frustration mm -hmm. but i was just like he's the only one making sense right now yeah and then to make matters worse the Boppet makes an appearance. Oh my god. Honestly, apparently the Boppet was brought out to diffuse the tension. But why do you think that's a good idea? I don't know. And honestly, like I, I did you own a Boppet? <laughs> no, I didn't own a Boppet. Um no, neither did I. I. Remember one of my friends had one. I remember it being a really a highly advertised toy though when it came out. Yeah. And At I, least on Canadian television. Yeah, for sure. And I like I'm I've always been bad at you know games and etc and but um i just don't remember it being fun like it wasn't like why would you it wasn't fun for children at least for me so why would you bring it out the for thing is, like in oh. my household i don't think it ever would have worked because my brother and i were always so competitive about everything oh no you and your greekness would have broken that toy <laughs> oh 100 like i could totally relate to both of them when they're like bop it and it's like bop that motherfucker like i could 100 percent 
like relate to the fact that they were like flicking way too hard and they're always like you're gonna break it because that's definitely what would have happened in my house like i'm just trying to imagine my mother pulling out a bop it when me and my brother were hurling things at each other <laughs> and been like do the bop it fun fact though i t- i spoke about this with my mom the other day it's funny how things come back to you when we were really well not really young but i would say like when my brother was maybe nine and i was eight um or 10 and nine whatever it was because my brother are very close in age uh, my brother and I were 14 months apart. Uh, my mom would work Saturday mornings from 4 a.m. to 2 p.m. Oh boy! So my grandmother, who lived on top of us, would come down and stay with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Saturday mornings, my my grandmother's shtick was like, "We got to clean the house so that when your mom comes home after a long six day work week, like she doesn't have to deal with some stuff, right?" So we would each have our designated chores, whatever. And inevitably on a Saturday, we would always fight. And I remember my grandmother's way of getting us to reconcile, if that's even the word I can use here. We would have all these blankets in the basement and she'd be like, go fold the blankets. So we'd literally, you know, when two people take opposite corners of the blanket and have to walk towards each other. Yeah. To like connect them. Yeah. Yeah. That was her way of getting us to like get along. <laughs> so it was literally and what? Like, I'm just, I'm just picture like you two meeting in the middle and like killing each other. Yeah, basically, it was like me and my brother. So we're like, however long this br- blanket is, we're away from this, like away from each other. Let's say two feet, not even. Yeah. Whatever. And then like slowly walking towards each other while like under our breaths, being like, "I'm gonna fucking kill you, swear to God." <laughs> <laughs> and then when we'd meet in the middle, my grandmother would be like, okay, and be like, mm-hmm. But oh, <laughs> I just Lord. remembered that the other day. And I was like, what was she <laughs> thinking? It was gonna devolve into chaos. I mean, it probably did on a couple of occasions. All this to say that's a like it would not a... have worked. <laughs> what? That's like that's like such a grandmother thing. Like I know. Like not even like not even necessarily like an ethnic grandmother thing, like just Yeah, just a regular thing. grandmother thing. Yeah, just thinking like maybe in like in my head thing like oh like it's not the grandmother's place to you know solve every little conundrum so it's like i see the children are fighting it's my job as as the, you know the person in charge to yeah stop it so it's like go fold the blanket and yeah you i don't know fucking get along while you fold this blanket okay <laughs> for the 30 glorious seconds that we're folding the blanket there's no fighting but oh my god so speaking Canadian television when you said before that the bop it looked remembered being popular on Canadian television mm-hmm. um, were you a fan of Pippi Longstocking growing up um so I didn't watch this particular Pippi Longstocking movie until very later on so I've um, never seen this movie in particular. <laughs> I mean I think I saw it like I didn't seek it out I think I stumbled upon it and was like whatevs mm-hmm. um another movie to get high and watch by the way um but i remember when i was growing up there was a cartoon i think yes if i'm not mistaken yes on uh, on ytv which stands for youth television which used to be a channel in canada Mm -hmm. um it is still it it still exists it still exists okay um well yeah so i remember i used to watch that um I can't really tell you much about it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good thing you brought that up because that sh- um that show in particular was one of my mom one of me and my mom's favorites to watch um when I was younger and like most like 
like most animated kids shows from like the late 90s there was only like 26 episodes made but because they just aired in reruns over and over again it was like it felt like it was um you know on forever even though it was literally yeah. just um but interestingly enough so this the show, the show that we're talking about now was a according to wikipedia a joint canadian german swedish production which makes sense considering the original uh Pippi long talking books were swedish mm-hmm. um but well, the, what was the, her this... name i remember her name in in swedish being something like longstrump <laughs> yeah Pippi longstrump <laughs> oh i got it okay um, yeah it's just like <laughs> langstrump is how it's phonetically spelled yeah um but interestingly enough one last tidbit on the canadian tv show that we watched the pippi longstocking was based on a pippi long an animated pippi longstocking movie that had, was kind of released theatrically in north america um in 97 and then because it was popular among um you know younger kids it was made into uh, a spinoff television series and i remember them i remember i had the movie on vhs and i wish i would have kept it because I, I remember we, i watched it a lot <laughs> Um, but I never was in, but like, I, I was only when I was in like elementary school, with, did I realize that like Pippi Longstocking was based on a book series from forever ago. And then only when I watched Gilmore Girls, did I, you know, I'm, I knew there had to be other ad- adaptations, but only when I watched Gilmore Girls the first time, I was like, oh, look, this weird ass Pippi Longstocking movie with surrealist sound, uh, special effects. <laughs> yeah. I also... I love how Luke is just so fucking confused. And he's like, this is a book, right? I should read the book. I'm like, Luke, you're <laughs> don't never read the book, read sir. The, yeah, you're not going to read the Pippi Longstocking books. And also, like, we don't know what happened to her hair. Just go with it, okay? Yeah, just go with it. It's funny because I remember in grade one, I think I was in I think grade one. Yeah, grade one. Um, the, like, if for English class, like, our teacher read us, I think, three of the Pippi Longstocking books throughout the whole year. And I don't remember much because obviously I was just sitting reading like sitting listening as if like it was story time. Those books were unhinged. I have to I have to to say because I was expecting like oh Pippi like like the the Canadian TV show that I watch at home like has to be the the, has to be of the same caliber. Obviously the the stories are drawn you know take inspiration from the source material but those books crazy. Like I don't know much about the lady who wrote them. Um, I would be interested to to read more about her because mm. she had to be on some major psychedelics while she wrote them, right? Well, um, she, not much. I mean, she's Swedish, so there's that. She died in 2002. Oh, okay. Uh, Swedish writer of fiction and, and screenplays. Best known for children's I books. also remember the only other fact about Pippi Longstocking, not even a fact, it's just... I remember the Greek translation is has nothing to do with long like her last name has nothing to do with long stalking. I think it has more to do with I think oh my god, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> the Greek translation of Pippi Long Stalking, if I'm not mistaken, is like the literal translation is girl with the freckles. <sighs> and I'm like, that's not at all what it was. That's not helpful. <laughs> but I think like because long stalking is not a thing in Greece. <laughs> I mean, uh, a lot of stuff doesn't just doesn't translate, right? Exactly. So I think that was the point. But um, 
yeah that's it but yeah i remember watching the cartoons and being like this is unhinged and then sabumafu would come on and i'm like oh i'm happy now. so oh my God. is that, that that's also a canadian show right or is that i think sabumafu is a canadian show i'm not if i'm not mistaken so if you don't know what sabumafu is i don't know oh my god <laughs> but we also have that weird one um oh god now my youth is coming back to me oh no i think zubumfu was uh like north american like canadian and what's the one that's strictly canadian wait it's gonna come to me well anyways i'll think of it we don't have time to like sit here while i think but (laughs) um anyways if we get back to the actual plot of the show (laughs) um you know when dean leaves because you know Luke was like, in your face, I bought that. Whatever the fuck he said. <laughs> um, when Dean leaves and Rory's like, thanks a lot. Like, you can also see her petulant child coming out. Yeah. Um, d- I'm not going to lie. I did not like the way that Rory spoke to Luke. But again. No, considering considering that it's, it's just this skewed character dynamic. that just, mm. Also, like, I, I think from I don't know I think from Rory's point of view like speaking that way to Luke you know your mom is in a new relationship with Luke you know that this is still very fresh for them you know that your mom did this so that you would feel more comfortable and like you acting like a bratty child when your mom's boyfriend rightfully pointed out that he's not legal enough to drink Mm -hmm. like you know you're really showing your age hun there's a lot of that in season five, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And again, I think it, a lot of it comes back to the fact that she didn't really live her childhood the way it was supposed to be lived as a childhood. Yeah. But, you know. Um, the last thing I'll say about Lorelai's behavior in this episode, or I guess attitudes towards Dean. At one point, she says, I just need this to work. Uh, in in reference to the relationship like Rory yeah. and Dean's relationship and for me it's like why what skin do you have in this game that's exactly what I talk about though when I say like Laura like Lorelai has some weird personal investment in Dean as her daughter's boyfriend no and I get what you're saying like I everything that you say when you say that and you explain yourself I understand completely but it's just I don't get it considering that we know how short-lived Gene and Rory's reunion in season five is it just doesn't doesn't compute (laughs) and like for me it was more of like when she said that I just need this to work I was like is she referring to the fact that she wants the relationship to work because like the whole town kind of knows that Dean cheated on his wife for Rory but even then, like that wasn't very like that wasn't portrayed at all. So like it's not as if we it's not it's not as if the audience knows that the whole town like well, obviously- look, they had the confrontation with Lindsay and her mother in the middle of the town. I can't imagine that nobody else knew about that. Right. I can't imagine with Chatty Patty on the case, like they wouldn't, they wouldn't have spread like wildfire. The but then that- again, Chatty Patty and Babette didn't spread any didn't spread the the time that Lorelai walked into the diner with Luke's shirt on. So well, we don't know that for sure because the whole town did eventually find out. They just wanted to keep it hush hush for the town meeting, right? All right, continue. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and also I was gonna say the fact that Luke doesn't know about it is not really an indication of anything because he tends to like bury his head in the sand anyways, right? Yeah. He's very oblivious to certain things. So I 
when she first says that, I'm like, oh, is it because like the whole town kind of knows? Listen, even if the whole town hadn't seen that confrontation at the gazebo or whatever in the middle of the town square, Luke, Luke Dean is no longer married to Lindsay, living on Hook, Captain Hook's fucking couch. <laughs> while kissing Rory in the middle of the street. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a hard leap to make. Yeah, you're right. So, like, for me, when she said that, my mind went to, is it because it's kind of embarrassing having the whole town know that your daughter was at least partly responsible for the demise of this marriage? Or is it because, or is she saying, I need this to work in the sense of, like, I need this meaning her and Rory and Dean getting along to work for the sake of her and Rory's relationship. You know, I think it can be interpreted in different ways. I'm going to go with the latter because yeah, I don't just, know. just based on how Lorelai and Rory argued about the whole Dean debacle just mere episodes ago, I think for the sake of, yeah, I think it's more for the sake of Lorelai's relationship with her daughter and not wanting to alien, like not wanting to alienate her. And that's just ironic to me, considering how the end of the season goes. But I'll save that. Yeah, we'll we'll save that for later. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's just a thought. Like, but when she said that, I was like, "You, why do you give a fuck?" I know it's weird. No, it's it's the same. It's the same kind of weird, the weird vibe that you were explaining earlier about you don't go on a double date with your mother. It's just weird. Honestly, it's giving very sister wives. <laughs> like, I don't know how. I don't know how to explain it, but the same feeling I get when I walk Sister Wives, which I still watch, um, it's the same feeling. Okay, well, that leads into a bigger that leads into a bigger discussion of why the hell you watch Sister Wives. Oh my god, it's hilarious! <laughs> what was the what's the other what was the other court show that you that you watch? Oh, which one? I watch so many court shows. Divorce court or paternity court? Oh, paternity court. Divorce court is a whole other beast. But <laughs> oh my god. Um. Oh. <laughs> but yeah one of these days on our newsletter nice segue for me i'm gonna write about my love of paternity court <laughs> please do and i will bring the masses to the youtube channel oh dear that's Speaking the... of our newsletter yes if you would like to support us on patreon you may and you can get access to our bi-monthly newsletter where we talk about all things gilmore we talk about what we're reading what we're watching we do a little Twitter roundup of the funniest stories and the funniest tweets because I know a lot of you don't have Twitter. Um, so yeah, you can follow us on Patreon. I don't know what the Patreon address is though. <laughs> you can find us at patreon.com slash Gilmore Girls Podcast. Um, we are we, we may or may not be soon recording a special bonus episode that will be exclusively for our patrons and released on that platform. So if you listen regularly here on your favorite podcast app, um, we'd love if you consider, you know, becoming a patron and paying a monthly fee in order to gain access to that content. Cause it's a tiny little fee of $4 a month. Yeah. $4, $4 us because Patreon only allows you to set the, the currency in us, but it'll calculate, but it'll, but from whatever country you're from, it'll calculate automa- automatically. Um, yeah, so we understand if you can't afford it, no worries. Don't feel bad. But if you can, please consider it. And thank you. (laughs) And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening.